Despite a cheerful demeanor, Pham says she had no clue this video taken while she was in the ICU would be used as part of a PR blitz to restore the hospital's damaged reputation. Nina Pham served very bravely during a most difficult time. An audio statement issued by Texas Health Resources in response to the lawsuit says they still consider Pham family. As distressing as the lawsuit is to us, we remain optimistic that we can resolve this matter with Nina. A counterstatement issued by Pham Monday afternoon reads, I was hoping that THR would be more open and honest. I was left with no choice but to turn to the courts for help. Pham says she still has nightmares, faces a public stigma that could prevent her from working, and she faces potentially long-term health effects from Ebola and experimental drugs she took to beat it. Did I say something wrong? Did you hear what I was thinking? Did I talk way too long when I told you all my feelings that night? Is it you? Is it me? Did you find somebody better? Someone who isn't me? Cause I know that I was never your type. Never really your type. Got me drinking, messing with my head. What a hoopla. Have you ever been a part of a pull apart? Like where you make you make a wish <laughs> and whoever's holding the bone gets their wish. Define bone. I've been to church camp before. <laughs> I know what happens. I know we're supposed to be doing Ebola, but um, moment of silence for John Christ as the faith-based podcast of record. <laughs> um, you know what season it is? It's eggnog season. <laughs> I'm enjoying a hearty, free plastic cup full of eggnog right I was now. I going to say, out of a plastic cup. I'm gonna like if your to, house had wheels, it would make sense. But I exclusively drink out of plastic cups. I'm gonna have this one from Hat Creek Burgers. I'm gonna have to get on the eggnog. I didn't realize it was already out, but I did notice when I was driving home through historic downtown Franklin tonight. Yeah, they've already got the Christmas lights up. Yeah, I'm against that. Every every street lamp. On the entirety of Main Street is fully wrapped. Man. It's like me on a Friday night, always fully wrapped. <laughs> Can never be too careful. It's like I've been telling you guys. Never ever be too careful. I thought you were alluding to like a 15 card wrap, but it was even more, <laughs> it was worse than that. Yes, yeah, more, more like a two card, maybe three and a half <laughs> card wrap. I don't know. So, as somebody said right before you pushed record, yes, we still have a podcast. <laughs> and you are turning so, in for, turning in, tuning in for episode 135 of Tell Me Where to Turn. And this is the third and most likely final installment of the Ebola story. That's right. Boy, unless he's got a big surprise for us that we get through <laughs> this and he's like... And you won't believe the rest in part four. <laughs> Coming to you in January. I think we should be pretty good for a while here. Uh, softball season's over, I'm assuming. 
Uh, yeah. Oh man. So that did. You want to start pulling back the curtain and what has curtailed us? Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, me at the uh, at the wife's softball game, which is we're trending nicely. We have time to get home. We have time to dispose of the kids and get them uh, get them to bed and start recording. And wife's team is playing against someone they're clearly outgunned here. They're they're definitely out waterburgered, but they somehow manage to remain within a few runs. And then this team with two outs in the bottom of the last inning commits back to back atrocious air fielding errors with two outs left. And then, and then they get another hit to tie it. Then somebody comes up and doesn't get the hit to win the game. So it goes in extra innings. So now we're, now we're edging. Like, I'm like, all right, this inning goes quickly and still, you know, we're a little late, but we're fine. The opposing team proceeds to score 16 runs <laughs> in the top of the extra inning. And it took forever. Even before the game was over, we'd already called it off. And I'm like, it's going to be 30, 40 minutes late probably before I even get home. Right. And we know how ornery Point Break Dave gets with any delay. So he was not so going to stand by and let a 30 or 40 I, minute I'll delay. I'll tell you happen. what, I will call each of you when I get up every morning next week. The time I get up, I'll just give you guys both a quick little ring and we can do a podcast at 4.15 in the morning and I'll be there. That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, Are you I, get it, doing a lot of farming? <laughs> How many cows do you have there and near both your HVAC units? <laughs> 415. He's got 5,000 square feet. He's probably got room for a few of them. <laughs> he gets up and plows the carpet. <laughs> plows something. Wow. <laughs> hey, would you... Uh, I, 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 want, I want to dedicate this specifically to Mike Hernandez. Would you like another softball story? <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's have it. <laughs> Our last game of the season was, I think, the same week as yours. I came up to bat with two outs in the bottom of the last inning. Uh-oh. John Christ is on second. <laughs> <laughs> Got all three of the Kings of Leon on the bases. John Christ is in the hole, as it were. Kane was pitching. <laughs> Kane was pitching. <laughs> yeah, Dutch Mantel was at third base. No, I'm up in the bottom of the last inning. And I won the game with a walk-off home run over the fence. What? Yes. Can wow. you believe that? And I'm embarrassed to say that is the first home run I've ever hit over the fence at any level of baseball or softball in my entire life. It's and an it amazing happened. feeling. It is. It is. I mean, it basically makes you feel like you're going to live forever. Yeah. The first time you don't really, it's like most things was the first time. You don't really know what to do or how to react <laughs> like when it's over. <laughs> You're just kind of looking around like that was okay, right? No, I had I had no idea because my thought was when I hit the ball was like, well, that's definitely deep enough for the runner to tag. So I'm kind of just jogging to first and I'm watching to see when the guy catches it. And then I see him throw his hands up in the air. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> that went out? And then the uh, teammates storm the field and that's yes. it. So let's slap hands and then have a nice prayer at the pitcher's mound. Well, obviously, I'm going to. Got to pray for John Christ. Yeah, we pre, we pre prayed for John Christ <laughs> with all of his all of his sexting and harassment. 
Did you actually read the article? It's so seedy what he was up oh, to. No. Like lots of rollerblading. Lots involved. of rollerblading <laughs> with, with giving girls water bottles while they're rollerblading filled with vodka instead of water. Oh my goodness. Which, by hey, the but way, this wasn't a who character. Falls for, who falls for that? I mean, I'm pretty thirsty when I'm rollerblading. You're not going to be able to slip that through where I'm like, oh, I drank half of it and then realized it was vodka. Right. Yeah. And shouldn't that be a Michelob Ultra? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's rollerblading. What is he talking about? Terrible. You know, Point Break uh, Dave and I just got back from Las Vegas. Speaking of Michelob Ultras and vodka. Wow. And I, it, I heard that. And I'm here to report. And Dave, if he's, in, if he's not trying to be an a-hole, will back me up. Card counting may have worked. <laughs> he did well. He did well. Yes, we, we may have actually stumbled onto something here, but my card counting exploits resulted in fairly substantial blackjack profit. Four figures? There was a comma involved, yes. Man, now that is a trip right there. Yeah, and almost all of it can be attributed to card counting. And you should definitely say that in a, a place that's recorded and preserved for all time. That's right. Good move. That's right. And Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> you don't think so? So are we ready? Any, any con- controversy on the trip or uh, run-ins, anything like that? Well, Dave's top two favorite drag racers... The largest male drag racer and the largest female drag racer both won. Erica Enders put the, put it in victory lane. And I'll tell you what, she looks stunning for 250 pounds. <laughs> she is a full-figured, beautiful woman. A BBW, as we like to call them. So did you guys venture down and say hello to your old friend? No, but Point Break Dave was so mad when she won, and they do the parade in front of the stands, and I was screaming at her. Erica, your number one fan is seated right here. <laughs> everybody, everybody around us was like, "Oh, do you like Erica?" She wasn't paying attention, and she shoved donut number eight in her mouth. <laughs> that's what that's what they make her tires out of. <laughs> Wow. Well, that's unfortunate. We've covered that in the past, Hell, You guys are old... Uh, old chums. Old rivals, and they made a movie kind of about you guys and for making per- fun of her. And professional jealousy has not subsided in Point Break Dave after all these years. It's despite the fact that he lives in a house so large it has its own pasture. <laughs> there's still a little bit of him that's just jealous at the immense success of one Erica Ender's. Hey, quick, uh, quick note on the pasture. So <clears throat> we actually do back up to a green belt, and we have, of course, you do full on live action happening out there. We have deer. We have a possum. So nice. about three a.m. last night here. So you were already up working out. <laughs> I was getting ready. <laughs> you were like doing a set of curls. <laughs> Just hear crazy loud noises out on the uh, the back porch, right? 3 a.m. Just banging like Ooh, hey. really loud. 
go out there. A raccoon has gotten inside our grill and is like pulling the the grates off of him to try to get down into like the little catch pan. Was he with hungry? His little raccoon hands. Did you help him out? Or did you just kind of stand there and watch? I double tapped him with a Glock. <laughs> did you give threw him, him some, out in the field? Did you give him some relief? <laughs> I Amber Geigered him. Did you really kill him? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, discharging a firearm and I'd shoot a possum one time at their house. It's kind of unnecessary, but he felt it was uh, it was looking at him the wrong way. So he was like, all right, then. And he got, he got his pistol, and he blew it to hell. And then we had to put it in this big, like, burlap sack thing, and he, he had it on a shovel, and then he purposely made it kind of imbalanced where it fell towards me as I'm holding the bag. And I had to do the hold the bag out while my body's backing up so I don't end up with a possum in my lap. Oh, speaking a of dead one at that. Speaking of blowing it all to hell, let's go back to 2014. All right, let's go Indeed. way back. Wait, where did we leave off so, exactly? So where we left off was the um, the two nurses had contracted the virus. They had been shipped out to more qualified hospitals that actually knew what they were doing. And I mean, no offense. And they were full skateboard man in an email. Yeah, they were cured of the disease and they came back home. And then I think not too long after that, things started to seem a little strange around the office. And we were getting notifications from our legal team of, hey, don't uh, don't delete any emails and don't delete any texts off your phone. In fact, don't get rid of your phone. You know, if you were thinking about upgrading your device, make sure you hang on to your old device. And. The talk around the water cooler at that point was, well, well there's going to be some kind of litigation. We just didn't understand at the time from whence it was going to come. Because there's a lot of people so, that could have had legit heat with the company. Quick question there. Is the phone in question a personal phone or a company-issued phone? So that is a good that is a good question. It is a personal phone, but it is paid for by the company. So does that make okay. it a company phone? Or does that make the company the sucker in this situation? <laughs> question two. When you start hearing this, don't delete any text. What level of panic is there? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. The panic level... More about the cell phone than about the emails was at DEFCON 5. But I did do some research and consulted with uh, some friends, a fr mutual friend that's in the uh, legal industry. And what we found out was the service provider that I have with my phone doesn't keep text message records on their servers for a very long period of time. And since the messages had long been long been deleted off my phone, in fact, they were pretty much deleted right after they were sent, uh, that the general consensus was that I had very little to be worried about. And let me be very clear. There was nothing on the phone that would have had any bearing on any legal proceedings. It would have had significant bearing on my ability to walk into our church on Sunday morning <laughs> as an upstanding <laughs> member of the community. 
And probably my ability to look most of my coworkers squarely in the eye with confidence, especially anybody in a leadership capacity. Interesting. There was one more note that I wanted to point out from the that I can't believe I forgot to bring up in the second episode, and it's not really paramount to any plot point, but it is a funny aside. So the the <laughs> office space that I occupied at the time at the hospital was um, formerly occupied. Uh, it was a it was part of the hospital. It was on the fifth floor of one of the the medical office buildings of the hospital. So you know, patients, doctors' offices. But it had formerly been occupied by an oil and gas company that had moved out after the, the company, I guess, either went out of business or m- moved to different space. So it was finished out considerably nicer than anywhere else in the hospital. And it wasn't because the hospital invested money. It was the previous tenant had. And when they moved out, they never bothered to fix it. So there was one office that the CEO of the oil and gas company used to use that was gigantic. I mean, it was probably you know, hundreds and hundreds of square feet. It had its own attached private bathroom, wet bar, conference table, huge opulent office. Well, as the high-ranking official in the office, Tommy 2.0 was squatting in that space as his personal office. Yeah, you had well. signed up to be the president, basically. <laughs> right. So the the irony is most everybody well all the the hospital leaders that came from Arlington so like the actual CEO of the system and the chief medical officer you know they were in very generic office space in Arlington that was all very prescriptive and they had obviously had corner offices nice space but nothing even approaching the the opulence that I was residing in and they had never they would have never had reason to come over to the Dallas marketing office so they had no idea this was even going on Well, when the uh, CEO shows up and he gets there and he needs to make a phone call, I said, um, hey, well, you just use my office right here. Well, he goes in there, makes his phone call, and then he comes out and he's like, yeah, I'm going to be using this office now. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. So I'm just going to go ahead and need you to move over here. Miscalculation. Yeah, miscalculation. So... What happened after that was we did receive a subpoena. Um, I like to call it a subpoenal with an emphasis on the penal. Um, that we were being sued by one of the two nurses that had contracted the virus. Now, I believe, and again, hearsay, not part of the negotiation, that the company had tried to work out not necessarily a settlement, but some kind of agreement with both of the nurses to be for them to be compensated for their troubles Um, and one of the nurses was fine with that arrangement and the other one felt like there was the opportunity to cash in at a, at a higher degree. Maybe they tried to work out some sort of hold harmless agreement, if you will. Yes. Maybe they wanted to be indemnified in some way. Look at the guy in the insurance business. What I was going to, the analogy I was going to use was that one day she came into work and there was this giant ladder in front of her. And at the top of the ladder, there was a green briefcase that said money in the bank. And she felt like she could scale this ladder and unclip that briefcase faster than the Presby Dallas administrators could climb it and, and uh, prevent her from securing the briefcase. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, so we're off and wins money in the bank. And then what happens? <laughs> Well, she sprayed green mist everywhere, obviously. <laughs> and then we all got Ebola. 
End of story. So what what they did is they they notified us that all of our um, all of our emails were being being held, and they they sent us a very very um, defined list of what mm-hmm. they wanted. And this is where the lawyers for the plaintiff made their first catastrophic mistake. So if I can tell you one thing about the legal industry is that everything is taken extremely literally. Favorite word of the show. That's right. Yes. So they sent this list to us and it said they wanted every email communication that had been sent between this state and this state. And they wanted every text message that, and that was still on our device. And, they, and, and it was list and list and list and list. Well, what they didn't ask for in the list was records from our internal chat system. And let me tell you, you want to talk about stuff right there. You want to talk about some embarrassed individuals. If those chat records had got out, <laughs> and our boss had ever heard what people were saying while this was going on, <laughs> we would have had a whole group of people looking for a new line of work. And it was but, stuff that was all specific to Ebola. It wasn't just other run. Well, no, I mean it was we going <laughs> going cores bats. Stuff no, like it was that. all that, but that that's the problem. I'm going to get to it in a minute. The case itself is very a very simple matter of law, but the discovery process is basically to try to paint everybody in the office as the most uncaring a-holes possible. And the way you do that is you take emails and texts and potentially chat messages out of context. You create a narrative. Correct. And the narrative is more important than the facts of the case because the case really comes down to this. In the state of Texas, you should know this in the insurance business, the Uh maximum penalty for a worker's comp case is very low. It's under a million bucks. I mean, it's a few hundred grand, I believe. Uh, I mean, there's a there. It's more based on periods of time as opposed to an amount because there you can't settle a workers' comp claim in Texas. There are no settlements. Right. So so basically, if the plaintiff in the case went the route of, I was in an unsafe workplace and I got injured, I'm entitled to workman's comp. It would have been a negligible amount of money. So in order to build a case, they have to go with something that doesn't have a cap on what they can collect damages for. And the attorney that this person had retained found that the best way to do that was to say that the hospital violated her privacy and used her in a marketing ploy to repair the reputation and image of the hospital. Because in that case, if you violated patient privacy, you exploited someone in, in a compromised position, you could be talking about you know millions and millions of dollars. So what so happened? Did is, you ever talk with Jim Adler personally, or no? I called the Condos uh, and Condos and the father's attorney and the attorney that sends flowers. Who who is the guy? Oh, Brian Loncar, well, the guy who's no longer with us. Yeah, I think it was it last year, the year before that his, I believe his daughter committed suicide, and then they found him like a week later, like cocaine dead in his, in the parking lot. Yeah, just typical American family story. Just, I just 
Just so everybody's casually mention that on the side. <laughs> so the irony of the situation is so a a case where everything that was really awful that happened happened in the workplace clinical setting and you've got you know potential exposure to viruses you've got you know this whole debate about did they have the right training the right equipment the right uh protocols none of that matters at all for the case and it really boils down to the marketing department for all the money and that that to me, you know, looking back on it now is just humorous because the, the role that we played in the entire saga with this particular nurse was really limited to one YouTube video. But that was where that the potential to cash in and win this lawsuit rested. And you are integral in that. Right. And that essentially makes myself and a few select others from my team as the star witnesses. But that wasn't your the video wasn't your idea, right? No, actually in and this is this is where this is where and I'll get into it more in a minute, but this is where my role in it is really convoluted because the video wasn't my idea. The consenting and signing off and agreeing and approving of the video wasn't my idea. All I did was upload the video to YouTube at the direction of somebody above me. And the only reason I did that is because I had the password to the YouTube account, not because I had anything to do with the creation of the video. I was essentially handed a fly- file on a flash drive and said, here's the final video, put it on our YouTube channel. Okay. So, but I mean, if, You're just IT in this scenario. Pretty much. But if, you're, if you are the prosecuting attorney and you get, you know, 50 bankers boxes full of emails with the CEO where I'm copied on almost every single one of them Mm. because I'm the only one that can access the printer in the office. Uh, I recall that. But you're you're looking through it. My name is right next to the CEO's name on all of these important emails. I've already been identified as the one that had a hand in loading the video to YouTube. I was, the file was transmitted to me. So in their mind, as they're getting ready to depose, I'm looking like the most important figure in the entire case, and they've got, the, they've got this entire strategy for how they are going to get me to admit under oath all the things that they need me to say so they can win their case. So quickly, there's potential that none of us on this podcast know the answer to this. Do they have some clerk read through, like, I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of emails across all the different employees, right? Yeah. Do they just sit there and, or is it just like a search? Do you give them data files or is it actually like printed out? No, and that's another thing because, again, the, the legal team doesn't want to make it easy. So when they ask for every email, they print out and hand deliver in paper every email because they don't want to give it to them in a, you know, email database file that they could word search because that would make their job easier. So yeah. again, letter of the law, they're required to dis- they're dis- required to disclose the emails. They're not required to put it in a nice table format that it, you can search at, search at. <laughs> just go ahead and pivot and everything. But this is this is what really is just 
<laughs> unbelievable to me about the legal profession is they have legal clerks and aides that they put in conference rooms on these cases, you know, and they're billing, of course, back at an astronomical rate to the client. And their job is to say, sit here and read this box of emails, and you're looking for, you know, one or two keywords. So anyone that mentions this, this, or this, set it aside. And when I show Trade up to the deposition, like- this guy sets down a ream of paper of emails that I've written or received with certain lines highlighted in yellow highlighter. And, so and that's how, that's how they assemble like their the case. Text color is like light yellow and white paper. It's on the. <laughs> The old printer paper that you have to tear off the stuff on each side. <laughs> Has the little dots on the side. They're the little holes. Right. Dot matrix. So when I found out, when I found out, you know, one, that they were subpoenaing all my emails, a, a, a bit of time passes to the point where I've relaxed a little bit. I'm not, you know, it's not something I'm worried about every day. But then I find out that, yes, this is moving forward. It looks like it's going to trial. And I've now been assigned because of my role as a star quote unquote star witness, I've been assigned an attorney to prep me for the deposition. And this is not like a casual, like, hey, we're going to have a 30 minute phone call. This is a multi-week series of in-person prep sessions. Yes, Dave. This is three months after, like, I think the last episode we left off, you did the send out for when the nurses were transferred. Right. How many months from oh, this then is to this now? is probably close to six months at this point after after you would quote unquote say it's all over. In fact, in that time, I've subsequently been promoted to a new role. I've moved offices to Arlington. I'm not even in the Dallas office anymore. Well, of course, your um, your great performance covering up the Ebola thing and killing a guy and, yeah. and mocking one of the nurses got you promoted. Yeah, I mean, when when they uh, when they gave me my promotion, they that's exactly what they said. They said, "Look, yeah. you covered up for us, and now we're going to take care of you." It's like the mafia. It was, it was real weird trying to fit all that on the plaque. <laughs> what's your What's your Arby's intake looking like at this time? <laughs> I had so moved past it, but let me tell you, when when we got close to the depot date, the Arby's intake went way back up again. <laughs> so I get assigned a uh, an attorney that is my deposition coach, and this lady was fascinating. So we would do these role playing sessions. You can mark all of this. Whoa! <laughs> so if you were to make a comparison to Anyone on the main roster, who would it be? Probably Sonia Deville. So she put her hair up and it was yeah. ready, ready to square up. Yeah, you got it. Okay. So, so so we would be in the room and the first couple of sessions I had with her were <clears throat> basically her giving me the playbook of how to handle a deposition. So one of my favorite quotes she said is she, the very first time we talked, first she just we just had a casual discussion about my involvement, and I was telling her just like I was telling you guys, look, I didn't know nothing. I could print. They kicked me out of my office. I had a key to every door in the hospital. That's that's the extent of my involvement. You know, And, of course, I think she's probably skeptical, too, because they've dealt with a lot of probably guilty people, and they all say that, right? She tells me, I'm going to tell you the three most valuable words that I can I can impart upon you before a deposition. And those are I don't recall. And she Bingo. said mm. she said this is not a contest to see how good your memory works. 
if they ask you a question and you don't absolutely remember what happened, you say, I don't recall. Don't try to add details that aren't there. Don't try to, you know, resurrect some memory that doesn't exist. If you don't remember, just say you don't recall. And no matter how many different ways they ask you the question, keep saying that you don't recall. This woman isn't like on your legal team as far as like arguing your case. She's purely coaching you on the deposition. No, so she is not, she would not be the litigator on the case. But what we did is so the company of that size obviously has in house counsel. But this gets way out of the comfort zone of what they would do. So they retained a very prominent downtown Dallas law firm, massive <clears throat> law firm that put quite a great deal of resources on the case. This lady was one of the lead attorneys on the case, but was not the litigating attorney. So she would not have been the one speaking in court, but she would have been at the table. Gotcha. So we did these sessions and what she would do. And I mean, you guys are going to think I'm making this up, but it's not a joke. Is So after the first couple where she got me familiar with how I would do, like how I would handle it, she would close the door and say, okay, for the next 30 minutes, we're going to role play a deposition. And she's like, I'm going to be a huge bitch and I'm not going to break character no matter what. Like we're not stopping. Like to really give you the, the simulation of being just hammered and over and pounded all, over using and all over. the words, just <laughs> scissored over and over again <laughs> without, without any stopping, not even able to come up for air or anything. So speaking of that, can I go on a huge tangent for like one minute? Oh, please. Uh, so I went on a, a work trip this week to New York and my ongoing bit to uh, watch movies on the plane that might make the people behind me uncomfortable. <laughs> I, can, I uh, continue that by watching the movie Rocket Man about Elton John. Oh, yeah. As quality movie. But there are seen it. one, if not two, pretty intense scenes that there's no way a baby could be made. <laughs> and then I watched this movie called Book Smart on the way back, which is basically like the female super bad. And there's like a uh, there's another scene in that where we're not conceiving future children in it. <laughs> it's between high school kids. So Merry Christmas, Ebola. And you just paused it at the perfect spot. So I didn't I didn't get the perfect pilot announcement during like <laughs> the most awkward scene, but there was a couple of them. There was at least one scene where I'm just actually sitting there like, this is awkward for me, just watching this on the plane. It's not like intense. It's just Well, you weren't like I don't know. easing your pants down or anything. No, I was trying not to laugh. And I was sitting in between uh, the guy who looks like, um, well, who are the two guys on Modern Family? Not the redheaded guy, but his partner. A Cam? guy who kind of looked like that. Cam? And then the guy on my other side looked like David Dow, the guy who got dragged, the just kill me guy. And he almost got killed because he, every time he fell asleep, he would lean to the left against me. Where I, He'd catch I a phenomenal moved. forearm immediately. Bingo. He, I moved my arm once and he kind of... You know, and then it woke him up, and he he fell asleep again and leaned over, and I gave him like the forearm, 
and he raised up and I was like, dude, just lean the other way. And I don't think he spoke English because he just kind of made a noise and went back to sleep, leaning to his right. So that's my. So how does a vice president end up in a middle seat? Uh, I don't know. Is your travel this department, was, I mean, my travel department, when I book, I specify I do not want a middle seat. and They take care of that for me. Uh, we, uh, we book our own travel. And this very, was booked very common pretty, man. Yeah, this is uh, booked pretty close to the date of departure, so seats were not aplenty. So what I gathered from the story was Glenn had to make an emergency flight to New York because most of the main roster was still in Saudi Arabia, and they they needed someone to come in and man. buy for the title. Somebody had to be taken down by the Viking Raiders. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to retract my Sonia Deville. She actually looked more like Nikki Cross. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm, go with I'm that. personally interested. Yeah. I'm going to go with that. All right. Yeah. So, so let's go enough. back yeah, to so the my, role playing. My intensive role playing progressed. So you're the landlord and she can't pay. <laughs> and, she, and she's your stepson's teacher. <laughs> It's a strange, yeah, it's a strange why she wanted to handle things that way. <laughs> She's delivering a pizza also. <laughs> but what was funny is, amongst many things that were funny, she was also assigned to a colleague of mine, same job title, that was much more involved in the production of the video. And I don't want to out this guy any more than that, but his role was a lot closer to the dicey parts of the video than mine. And he was very adamant about certain parts of his story. Can you clarify the dicey parts of the video? I meant, I guess I shouldn't say the dicey parts of the video, but the part of the video where the patient very clearly said it was fine to post the video on YouTube, this guy was responsible for kind of handling that aspect of it. So he got... Uh he handled the approvals. He handled the phone call afterwards to ensure that that was okay. He got all the authorizations from the person. And again, case is settled and over, but this guy, very good friend of mine to this day, adamant that he never, he never changed his story. Everything he said happened, happened. And I believe him and I'll take it to my effing grave. Well, she had got done grilling this guy because this guy, if he somehow cracks under the depot and gives any kind of inclination other than what he's said in the story, we could have a big problem on our hands. Well, I go in right after his grill session and she says to me, she says, uh, yeah, you know, I just got done grilling this guy. Uh, but before we get started, I got to ask you a serious question. And I said, yeah, she said, you're friends with that guy. And I said, yeah. And she said, look, so protected by attorney client privilege is he telling me the truth? Is he lying about any of this? And I was like, absolutely not. I, I can tell you he's never given me any indication that what he's saying is not the truth. But it got me worried. And I thought, man, if our own liar <laughs> is coming to me, the guy who clearly knows nothing to find out if this guy's telling the truth, maybe her spidey senses aren't as good as we hoped they were. So you just say, hey... I just print the papers. I lost my office. <laughs> I don't recall. I'm not a psychologist. I don't recall. So Where are the curly fries? 
So the day of the deposition arrives, and I've been, I mean, and, and let me tell you, I mean, I knew this was, this was on the books for several weeks. I was dreading this because this, this is probably the most anxiety-inducing, high-pressure situation I've ever been in in my life. So it's downtown Dallas at this opulent law firm. You go into one of their smaller conference rooms. They have all the lights set up like you're, you know, you're being interviewed on TV, you're sitting by yourself in a chair kind of at the head of this table with a camera right in your face. They clip a microphone to your lapel, and then you can't go anywhere. You're, you're there till they tell you you're allowed to take a break. You're sworn, you know, you're sworn to be truthful. And your lawyer, so my lawyer, my coach is there. They're not allowed to help you legally at all in a deposition. They can't object. They can't give you any instruction. So she can't say, like, don't answer that, or right. you need to ask them to rephrase the question. So all my training has to come, in, you know, come into play here. So all, so they, so all she can do they, is she can make a note in the transcript that she has a, a, an issue with something, but it, it doesn't stop the question from being asked or answered. So... I'm assuming the point of all of this and videoing it is that it could be used in court. Yes. So what this does is this determines, like this helps them build their case. And then this determines who they're going to call as a witness and how they're going to do the line of questioning. Anything you say in the deposition, if I go into court and say the exact opposite thing, they can gotcha me with the deposition video. But I would still have to go to court and testify this is like the long, drawn-out version of that where they can ask me anything, they can introduce any line of questioning they want, there's no objections. In court, they have to adhere to certain guidelines and parameters set down by the judge. In the depot, they can go anywhere they want. But could they use the depot? No, but they could use it to ask me the same question again in court. And okay. then if I answer it in a way that's not satisfactory, then they, then they could cite my inconsistency. So essentially, gotcha. the course- essentially like... Well, by the nature of this case, everything I say is building the power of their case and probably ultimately dictating how much money they're going to extract. So during the course of that, the attorney couldn't even verbally object to the phrasing of a question, just made like a note? Yeah, she can make a note that she objects to the question, but I still have to answer it, and she can't give me advice or say any, you know, give me any kind of coaching or, or anything during the, the course of the questioning. She has to basically be a silent observer. Because I've only, I've been through this once before <clears throat> being deposed, and that was the only thing. There's no instruction or anything, but the attorney would just, a question would be asked, and they would just say, object to phrasing. And then the attorney would then either re-ask it in a different way, or if they couldn't, I think potentially it could be struck from the record after the fact, obviously, not yeah. like in the middle. Yeah. Don't call time out or anything. Yeah. The way it was explained to me, though, is if she objected to a question and he wanted to continue on, I still had to provide an answer. Like there wasn't there wasn't a judge in there that was would say like sustained and make the guy ask the question differently. She told me in all my prep work, which this is just good advice for anybody that's going to be on any kind of trial or given any kind of testimony is just stick to the question that was asked. Don't ever elaborate. Don't volunteer more information. Try to keep your answers as short as possible. Good advice. So we're, when we're walking into the courthouse, she says, you know, she's trying to get me 
mentally prepared. She can tell I'm nervous. And she says, you know, the lady that's going to depose you, um, she actually really is usually pretty nice. She's polite. She likes, you know, she likes young, hardworking guys like you. She's not going to, you know, she's not going to browbeat you. You know, she's like an older, the, the attorney's like an older woman. You know, she probably has grandkids my age. So she kind of had me feeling good. Well, then we go into the room and then I hear her talking to somebody else and they say, oh no, they're bringing in this guy to do the deposition. The, the older woman's out there and then she's like, oh S, we got a big problem. She's like, this guy is a huge a-hole. And like, basically like he gets off on just being a jerk because he can and he's, he's just like a real, he, she just basically says the guy's just a huge prick and that's who's deposing me. There you go. So something you may or may not know about Tommy is I can get pretty competitive if you if you um strike me the right way. And I can also Uh-oh. I can also get pretty confrontational if pushed. Uh-oh. So oh, I'm no. al- I'm already on edge and now I've been kind of informed right as this is starting that like King D- D-head is now deposing me. And I just kind of decide right then and there, like I'm gonna I'm gonna make this guy's day as bad as I possibly can. I'm gonna I'm gonna not answer. Yeah, I'm not 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 answer, but I'm gonna make him ask every question until I'm satisfied with how it's phrased. I'm not gonna give him any more information than he asked for, and if I don't remember something, I'm not gonna try to think it through. So he immediately starts in on me um, with my emails. And every time he would ask a question, I would say, I'm sorry, you know, could you, could you slow down? Could you ask that question? And, you know, he would ask these multi-part questions. I'd say, can you break that question into, into smaller parts and ask one at a time? And I, I mean, I, every, everything he asked me, I had a pushback and he was getting like immediately frustrated to the point where this, I swear this happens and I have the transcript of the deposition to prove it. He stops about an hour in and he goes, Where'd you go to college? And I told him. I said I was at Baylor under Bryles. <laughs> and he said, well, what did you study? And I said, well, I studied communications. And he said, so, so in order to graduate with a communications degree, do you have to read and understand the English language? And I said, well, yes, sir. In order to graduate, I have to read and understand the English language. Well, then why are you having such a hard time asking these simple questions, understanding these simple questions I'm asking you during this deposition? That's how mad I made this guy. You said, was ACU. Was it Dartmouth? Yeah. No kidding. I was going to say, they let anybody in there. So there was, there was a point where he, w- he would have me read an email that the CEO wrote that I was copied on. And then he would ask me, what does it mean? And my answer would Did always... Did you do impersonations? Yeah. Be like, dead gum, pal. <laughs> but my answer every time he would ask me would be, I didn't write this email. You'll need to ask the CEO's name what he meant by the email. What do you think it meant? I don't feel like I'm really in a position to try to interpret the meaning of what it was because it wasn't written to me. I mean, I did this a thousand times and he was getting so mad. And I explained to him at one point, he said, well, why did he send this email to you? Well, if you look at the uh, subject line or the two line, you'll see that I'm CC'd on the email. That means carbon copied. He was sending it to me because I had access to the printer and he wanted it printed out. It wasn't addressed to me. 
and I just kept saying the same spiel over and over again. And, and finally he said, well, I've read through every emails and I never found one where the CEO wrote a, a note to you that said you should just go home because you're not adding any value to being at the, at the, at the, uh, as part of the team. And I said, well, actually, I was adding value. I was able to print these emails out. <laughs> and he got so mad and he leaned forward like where we're almost face to face. And he said, look, I'm not going to split hairs here. Well, I started laughing. Because the guy had like the worst comb over I've ever seen. Like, I mean, just egregious. And he said, do you think this is funny because you're laughing? And I said, no, sir, I do not think this is funny in any way. And he said, well, why are you laughing? And I said, well, because you said split hair. (laughs) The lady um, that was my coach, so we had a break, and she said, that was the greatest moment I've ever witnessed in a deposition because everybody in her law firm hates that guy. She goes, they'll be telling the split hair story for years within my law firm. And I said, well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Wow. What a wow. moment. Wow. Just the crowd is hyped. He's, he's yes. turning and there putting was his heat. hands up to his ears. There was <laughs> legit heat. Just the, the holy shit <laughs> chant in the crowd. <laughs> The two most awkward moments for me in the whole deposition were one, um, an email, again, that I didn't write, but that was addressed to me by somebody that directly reported to me. So let's just say, hypothetically, this, this nurse had a dog. Hypothetically. And let's just say that the person that reported to me wrote the most insensitive email about, basically, the gist was, well, man, if you think the media hype is bad now, what would happen if the dog, and then just added some extreme symptoms that somebody with Ebola (laughs) might have, started doing that all over the place. (laughs) And that was the entirety of the email. I have no idea why this guy sent it, but I think at the time he was feeling pretty good, like, you know, catching some high fives, patting himself in the back. Well, they made me read every word of that email for no reason other than to embarrass me. And then said, you know, what's this guy's name? I read his name. They said, well, who's your report? He reports to me. And then they asked me, they said, well, do you think this is funny? And I said, no, sir, this is not funny. And they said, well, what did you do to this employee to punish him for sending this email? And I said, well, I probably told him that he needed to work on his jokes. There's a lot of material there and he didn't really, you know, do a very good job. And they said, well, you know, did you, and then he starts listing off, he's like, well, did you write him up? Did you, you know, put him on a performance improvement plan? And I was like, no, I didn't do any of that. You know, you guys sent an email, you know, we were under a lot of stress. He's blowing off steam. You know, I gave him, I extended some grace. So they, so they basically were trying to trap me with that email. Um, the, the other embarrassing part was I wasn't lying, but I was don't recalling down a path that I probably got busted on a little bit. So they said um, when, when we did the rally for the two nurses when they were being transported, I think we talked about this in the last episode, so they're loading them into ambulances, and we had a bunch of people that were employees of the hospital out front with signs. And I think I mentioned that my team had helped make some of the signs. Yep. And not because they were trying to create an optic it was because the nurses were doing their jobs and they wanted to have signs and my people had opportunity to do it for him he asked me if 
we had helped stage the rally and I said no. I said some members of the hospital nursing staff that were their friends wanted to do it and we helped facilitate it. And he said, so you're saying that you didn't help set up the rally in any way? And I said, no. And then he said, well, I want to introduce, you know, exhibit 1245A. And it was a picture of me making a sign. (laughs) 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 And he said, could you read for the camera, you know, describe the picture that you see here? And I said, well, it's kind of dark. I can't really make it out. Do you have a clear one that I could look at? And he said, he said, no. He said, can you just try your best? And I was like, well, it looks like somebody making a sign. And he said, well, can you make out who that is in the picture? And I was like, well, I'd really like to see a clear copy of it before I could say for sure who that is in the picture. <laughs> I would have gone with the, well, it looks like me. And it looks like the sign says King Corbin on it. So, <laughs> yes, I had tickets to Raw. So that, well, what that, that, that means you're just making a sign. I mean, yeah. that doesn't mean, what, what does that even prove? It doesn't prove anything. And, and I was just at this point, I was just trying to get, I, I, cause I knew I was getting this guy to this guy and I was just, I was just trying to make everything as difficult. And he would act so offended when he would say, you know, well, in this message, this, 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 this happened. And I would say, well, I'm going to need to read that for myself before I answer. And he would say, do you think I'm intentionally trying to mislead you? And I was like, no, I just want to be careful before I answer and just wasting, I mean, just totally wasting his time because I figure <laughs> if I do that enough, maybe it'll stop him from asking dumb questions. But, but yeah, I, I had my full guard up. Well, this deposition lasted, we started, I think, at 8.30 in the morning. It lasted all day till almost 5 o'clock that night. That's insane. With two bathroom breaks and then one 30-minute lunch break. And when I left there, wow. I was physically and mentally as exhausted and drained as I've probably ever been. Wow. Because you never get to shut off. You, you know, no, you just have to keep going. And, and they they are allowed to keep hammering you with questions as long mm. as you want. And even at different times, you know, my attorney would say, hey, well, you know, I think this would be a good time to take a 15-minute break. He'd be like, no, 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 I'm, I want to go through a few more of these before we take a break. Like, he would never agree to it. You know, he was always trying to kind of keep whatever edge he thought he could get. So what was for lunch that day? Oh, they catered in some Panera. Oh, not yeah. bad. Nice sandwich. And a little chicken salad, maybe? Yeah, you know, <laughs> put some mayonnaise and... You, well, you know. They... They told me afterwards that they thought I did a really good job. I, I was credited as not, um, you know, not giving them, you know, anything that wasn't factual or that they already had access to. So the, their plan to try to get me to, you know, pontificate, to speculate, to give, you know, give them something under oath that they could use, I didn't give any of it. So I mean, my my marks for the depot were, you know, five stars. Unfortunately, it was later revealed to me by the same attorney that several other people did not do as well as I did on our team and went into business for themselves a little more than they would have liked in the deposition. So then a few weeks go by, and of course you get a copy of the deposition, so it's you know a thick ream of paper of every word you said that you have to read and then validate that the that the uh, stenographer, the court reporter, didn't input anything incorrectly. So I had to make a few corrections to that. And then I... Hold on. Are you comparing it to a video or are you going off memory? No, I'm going to my recollection. So if I, you know, and and the stuff I was correcting was really 
probably insignificant to the overall uh, case. I mean, it would be like if I mentioned somebody's name and they spelled it wrong or something mm. like that. You know, there what. There wasn't really, if I'd have totally questioned the veracity of an answer, they would have had to go back to the tape. So several weeks passed. They, they are doing these depositions with everybody involved on both sides of the house, clinical and, and business. And then we start to read more and more in the newspaper because the trial date's getting close. Well, then the judge in the trial allows court TV, or I, it wasn't court TV, but it's like whatever the, the online court network is now, because I don't think court TV is even a thing. But they had granted, no, granted them access to live stream the entire trial because of the national interest. So now I'm becoming quite nervous because I'm on a witness list and the trial is going to be live streamed nationally and I'm most likely going to get called just to testify about the YouTube video, probably a short, you know, 30-minute to 45-minute, you know, handful of questions they're going to ask me, basically just to establish that somebody that worked for the hospital loaded the video. There's not much more to my testimony that they could have gleaned. And I'm, I'm staring down the barrel of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be like, you know, for all time's sake, testifying live in court. Well, we get down to within a week of the trial and word has come down that the pre-trial settlement has been reached. And as much as I tried, and believe me, I did, I was never able to find out what the settlement amount was. So we have been left to guess to this day how much money that was actually worth because no one knows. It was sealed and never disclosed. Man. And one party got a certain amount and then... The other party that lives with them got one seventh of that amount. Is that how? <laughs> is that how this worked? Why one seventh? Cause isn't it like seven years for every human year? Oh, interesting. <laughs> or once you have Ebola, are you not living human years anymore? Interesting. And so, how much is the yen worth this, these days anyway? <laughs> judging by the plaintiff's Instagram, <clears throat> the money must have been pretty good. Really? Yeah, because it looks like it looks like the uh, idea of just hanging out and traveling in the world is uh, is is the IG still popping? Yeah, I mean, I I haven't looked at it in a while, but I'm not a I'm not a big grammar. In fact, most of my most of my exposure to this person's Instagram was through others, including one that does this podcast. It <laughs> <laughs> might have mentioned some very unfortunate observances that. Might have put him in the put her in the Erica Enders category. I was gonna say, was this settlement money or Twinkies? <laughs> like, how did it? Uh, again, the settlement was sealed, so I don't know. So we don't have any idea whether it was. Well, I'm sure there was a lump sum aspect, and then probably yeah. we've put some money in trust that will pay out probably t- till the the end of her life. Yes, I, I would uh, assume. I would assume her. that that. That those are the terms that it's being thought in by just about everyone. Mm. So my only takeaways from the experience is one, I was very proud of myself and how I handled the pressure of the deposition. I have a great deal of respect for the company I worked for and think that they handled everything absolutely above board. And as a manager and leader of people now, whenever I you know start a new job or get introduced to a new team, the first bit of advice I give them is do not type 
anything on a company device or a company email that you wouldn't be comfortable reading back to your executive leadership verbatim uh, in court because all those little jokes and all those little funny things you think about, those could all end up in trial. And if they had have subpoenaed our chat records, <clears throat> they probably would they, they they probably would have had to like go ahead and go to trial just so that those could be read in open court because they were that fun. You would have had to explain why you included a eggplant emoji <laughs> just constantly. What does this mean exactly, sir? What no, is but, I mean, a uh, shumpert? <laughs> I mean, seriously, though, it, it, and you think it'll live me if you want, but I mean, those were the kind of discussions that, that were had on the chat was like, so what would it take? <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, the attorneys are just doing their job, but I like how they have to play pretend that they're shocked that people have real conversations yeah. and that there are people out there that, that make a joke out of damn everything. <laughs> Everybody knows a million people that are like that. But right. then you get in there and, and like, And most likely they're also like that. They may also yeah. be having a group text about, you know, well, let's just say we're talking about like groceries and like how many plastic bags you'd want to put around your groceries before you took them out to the car. You know, would you double bag them or triple bag them? You know, those conversations happen and sometimes they get taken out of context, you know, and I'm just glad that we didn't have to read those in open court. Yeah, it's a good, you lucked out for sure. So in the end, one guy didn't make it. Everybody else did. So what did, uh, so, so I guess the, the individual that accepted the package from the, uh, the settlement from the company, what's their IG looking like these days? That person is still gainfully employed at the company. They took a position at the corporate office. I used to see him on a fairly regular basis in the halls and lobby. And I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I bet they have a job for life. I, I, I bet they will. They will. The part of the agreement was you can work here as long as you want. And they probably I'm again speculating. They probably will never pay a medical bill for the rest of their life. And to me, I think that would have been the way I would have played it if it had been me. I think I would have said, you know what? I've got the opportunity here to do the right thing, and I would have hoped I would have done it instead of trying to chase the uh, ill-gotten gains. Chase that money? Yeah. Man. But the last thing, oh, no. the last thing I wanted to end with, uh, and this, this really invalidates my entire life's work. So we in the marketing department spend inordinate amounts of money doing TV commercials websites, microsites, calls to action, online physician referrals to try to convince ourselves that the work we're doing in any way impacts who actually decides to come to the hospital. Well, here this hospital had a disease that terrified an entire state, had essentially closed down to taking patients, had this horrible stigma of being this place where somebody died of a deadly disease, Within 90 days of it being over, everything was back to exactly business as usual, like it never happened, which pretty much invalidates that the marketing that I was doing for the hospital <laughs> made any difference in any way. And the reality is people are just going to go to the hospital that's closest to them, and, not, and that's, that's the extent of the decision process they're going to make. 
Yeah, they're going to drive to the hospital, and as long as it doesn't say Parkland on the outside, <laughs> they're going to go in. Help me. It's like the walls are keeping in. Sometimes I feel like giving up. No medicine is strong enough. Someone help me.